Welcome to Terrible, the podcast where two friends discuss true crime stories in hopes to prepare themselves for life's most terrible things. Quick disclaimer, the following podcasts will include graphic and explicit content. Our goal is to respect victims and their families. We do not want to sensationalize crimes or glorify criminals. We are not experts. We want to tell these stories in order to learn from them and make sure victims and their families are not forgotten. I'm Renee, a longtime true crime enthusiast. Marie, on the other hand, has recently delved into all that is true crime. We both believe that once you watch or listen to your first case, there's no going back. So let's do this. Just before we get started, we want to mention that we do have a merch store. There's lots of great stuff, so if you guys want to check it out and support the show, you can go on Etsy and look us up at Terrible True Crime. The last thing is that it really helps when you rate the show and leave a review or comment wherever you listen. All right, so let's get into some updates. So it's our 20th episode. Yay! <laughs> I think I said this at episode 10, but I feel like we've been doing this forever like there are so many episodes Mm -hmm. much more than 20 that we've covered but yeah it's nice kind of a milestone so it's exciting for us i think it feels like a lot because like one episode takes so much work it's more than just like sitting down and recording it so i feel like that's why we think it's so much more than that or we've been doing it for longer but 20 is a good number we started recording episodes not releasing them but like around december Mm -hmm. of last year and that feels like forever ago but to think it's been like 20 something really weeks since we first like kind of like came up with the idea and started Mm -hmm. making episodes and stuff it just doesn't feel like a lot but it also feels like it's been a long time other than that we just had a long weekend which just felt really nice i just think i really needed it a nice break off work we had some friends come and visit us and we went to this like really amazing italian restaurant downtown calgary yeah we had what's called like i think arancini i'm probably saying this wrong but it's basically like deep fried risotto balls with like a marinara pesto sauce Mm. and just like you know like like wood fire baked pizza oh, it was so good so good amazing so yeah i've still been thinking about that like we're gonna go back <laughs> because it was so good yeah so long weekend was easter weekend so we're recording obviously a little bit in the past for you guys and uh i'm away from family so we really didn't do too much other than than see those friends but the exciting thing i did this weekend was that we decided we needed more seating in our living room area so we were looking for some type of accent chair but didn't want to spend too much money so we basically found this like perfect accent chair on a facebook marketplace there was a woman who was downsizing so we went picked it up put it in our living room it's perfect and now i have somewhere to sit in my living room when i do my cases and i do my Mm. research before it was like slouched over on the couch it was like super uncomfortable but i didn't really want to sit at the desk the whole time and now i have like a perfect little spot and you know how they say like armchair detectives like i just feel like it's my like <laughs> little like sleuthing area <laughs> I just sit there and watch my crime shows and just like yeah. write the cases yeah but it's true like it gives you better support than the couch so you feel kind of more like you're working at the same time being comfortable that's awesome yeah and it does take like hours so like my back was for sure sore (laughs) that on top of everything else (laughs) the other thing is i listened to an episode of a different podcast i think it was last week and they covered like an unidentified remains case so basically you know remains that were found in a town and there's a bunch of theories as to who these could belong to or who this could be but still like kind of nothing concrete but they felt like an entire episode worth so i was kind of interested in like looking up if there was any similar canadian cases oh my god 
there are so many people that have died that are unidentified and it has haunted me like i i want to like pull stuff together to make an episode but the scary part is is there's like four lines it's like this person was found there this is what they're wearing this is what the reconstruction of their face would look like and that's it and like hundreds so like none of these people have like their their teeth found can't you do like a uh, dental records to identify someone i think it depends like some of them are a lot older and then some right. of them are like as recent as like 2013 and no one's like claimed this person and you're like how how does someone just disappear and nobody notices and then they find the, the body or whatever and like in some cases they're able to like take a picture and there are like on like the like some police forces from quebec i was looking at some of the rcmp ones some ontario ones they have like the pictures of the faces of the remains that have been recovered because that's all they can go off of they're like online on their websites i was just like i don't like that in like a loophole of like scrolling and scrolling and sometimes they find bones so they have people reconstruct the face to like see what they would potentially look like wow i can't stop thinking about it so we're gonna have to figure some sort of way to cover some of these cases but the thing is there's so little information so maybe eventually they'll kind of be like mini episodes and we'll try to find like a couple in a similar area but freaky like yeah that's scary that's so sad it is super sad because you're thinking like somebody must be missing this person yeah and why haven't they come forward maybe they have but it hasn't been connected or yeah if they can't identify the body how would they know that that's their loved one i guess but i would just think the obvious things are ruled out like if i have a loved one missing that's like a i don't know like a five of two brunette female weighing between 100 to 130 pounds and they find remains that match that that's what i would think right so it can't be like just that easy weird so man sad. it's like, like these that. mysteries yeah mm-hmm. on that note <laughs> on that note happy easter <laughs> i haven't been up to much lately but this weekend like renee said it was a long weekend so uh, me and my boyfriend went to go visit his family they don't live nearby so it's like a seven hour drive to get there so it's quite the drive we didn't stay there for too long but we brought zoe my little teacup chihuahua and it was her first time like that long in a car she threw up all over me on the way there can't get mad at her she's too cute and like she's probably so anxious and then because we got her in december she's never really been outside or in the snow or anything so she finally can walk on a leash with her little harness that fits an extra extra small harness and she was like a typical little dog barking at everyone she saw on the leash a great guard dog but it was so cute it's like before i had her i would look at these little dogs barking i'm like oh my god are you serious like tucker what are you like you're not even doing anything to them and now she's the little dog dog barking and i'm like you're so cute trying to guard or like (laughs) trying to play with them i'm like oh how cute other than that i talked about real housewives last week i've really been into real housewives of new jersey to be honest it's my last one my last Real Housewives, and I'm almost done already. And I started it like two weeks ago. You're going to be the depression. <laughs> the depression is going to hit. Yeah. Like, what am I supposed to watch after that? It's really good, though. I like <laughs> it's like every episode. There's something, someone that just goes nuts, throwing glasses, fighting, screaming, yelling, pushing in a pool, like anything and everything. It's amazing. Yeah. 
because it's New Jersey, right? So it's like it's like heightened. I feel like oh even yeah, more. oh yeah, and it's like their husbands are involved in filming too. So it's just hilarious. Oh. Yeah, it's really funny. There was like a whole like crime thing around like one of the husbands too at some point, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, Teresa and Joe Judice. It was mortgage fraud. So he, so she went away for I think just under a year, and oh then he, yeah, and then he went away for like three ish years, but then. He never got his American citizenship while he was living in the States because he's from Italy. And so once he was finished his prison sentence, he was deported back to Italy. Yeah. So they have four four girls together and they have to travel to see their dad now. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I mean, don't do crimes, but <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> have you watched The Ultimatum? No, I haven't gotten to that yet. Yeah, I've only watched two episodes so far. Yeah. But it looks like it's going to be wild. Oh, yeah. I feel like I'm going to sit down one night and like just watch the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. those kinds of shows. <laughs> yeah, it's just so good. So the good. creators of Love is Blind are like, how can we do Love is Blind, but like trashier? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And you know, Temptation Island, it's available on MTV now. What? Yeah, I've been There's watching There's also a new it. season. There's also a new season. I've been watching. What? How many seasons are there? There's three. There's a fourth season that's okay. like playing right now, but I can't seem to like get it to play on the CTV app. Oh, but that's like how there's I've been a getting it. Season. <gasps> that show is wild. If you love reality TV <laughs> and you just want to binge something so dumb but so amazing, <laughs> Temptation Island is so good. Renee introduced me to that show and I will forever be grateful. <laughs> <laughs> but I've seen them like several times, like each season, because like yeah. whenever the girls would come, like they were watching another season. <laughs> just so good. It's like the perfect two if you're having a girls' night. Mm-hmm. And you just want to like play something in the background. Bold. Reality TV. <laughs> Gotta okay, love we, it. Yeah, we better stop now because this is not a reality TV podcast. But we gotta mix in a little bit of light with the dark. Exactly. <laughs> the sources for this week's case are a Wikipedia article, an article from the stories of the unsolved a Fifth Estate episode called What Happened to Jennifer Hillier Penny, a CBC article by Colleen Connors, a Salt Wire article by Glenn Whiffen, there's also a Ontario government page, and a CBC article by Lauren Pelly. Our case this week takes place in St. Anthony, Newfoundland. It's the evening of November 30th in 2016. Jennifer Hillier Penny is a 38-year-old woman. Her and her sister Yvonne are having dinner at their father's house. Jennifer's plan that night was to finish up dinner and then drive Yvonne to the hospital for a scheduled appointment. She was then going to head to the family home for the night. Jennifer was married to a man named Dean. That night, Dean was away duck hunting at his cabin in the northwest arm of Newfoundland. He was supposed to be away for a week or so. During Jennifer's drive home, she received texts and calls from Dean asking her when she would be home. See, the couple had two girls, the oldest Marina and the youngest Dina. Marina had moved out of the family home by this time, but it was important for Jennifer to get back because Dina was still young enough that they didn't want her to be home alone for the night. Jennifer gets home around 8 o'clock. She preps a bath and texts Dina to tell her that she was going to bed because she had a headache. She planned to head to work the next morning. So, you know, obviously she's not feeling well, draws herself a bath, gets ready for the night, texts her daughter. You know, her daughter's old enough that she trusts her to get back home, but she's going to be in bed by the time she gets home. Dina gets home a little bit after 9.30. She's kind of past her curfew, and so she doesn't check on her mom, which I get, you know, her mom is sleeping, and her mom's bedroom door is closed. Like, I wouldn't have gone in, opened my mom's bedroom door, gone in and said, I'm home, like, when she's sleeping. 
happening. So this makes a lot of sense to me. Especially since she wasn't feeling well. Mm -hmm. Weirdly, she does see her father, though, even though he was supposed to be, you know, like I said, gone duck hunting. He tells her he had to come back to get some of his decoy ducks that he had forgotten in the garage. So this is kind of normal for Dina. She's like, all right, whatever, dad. And get your duck stuff and <laughs> get your get ducks and go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She goes to bed and that's it for the night. The next morning, around 7 a.m., Jennifer's phone alarm went off. It's kind of ringing and ringing. You know when you have like a fan member in the house whose alarm just keeps going off and it's not yours and you're just like so irritated because you probably don't have to be up that early or, you know, even if it's half an hour earlier than yours. You know, Dina's like, okay, like what's going on? So she she gets up and she goes into her mother's room and realizes that she's not in her bed. Dina looks around the room and she sees her mom's phone. Obviously, that's what was that's what was kind of setting off the alarm. She sees her purse, she sees her coat. Everything was still in her room. The bathtub was even still full. Like it looked like she had never taken a bath or maybe had taken one but didn't drain the water, which instantly is weird. The bathtub to me is the biggest kind of red flag in all of this. You know, the phone, the purse is weird, but the bathtub that makes you think back to the night before, being like, this was supposed to happen last night. No one would ever leave a bathtub full, like on mm -hmm. purpose, you know? Even accidentally, like that's not something you... Right, you get out really and you drain do. it, yeah. Yeah, I even like, I take baths pretty much every day. <laughs> and people that hate on people that take baths <laughs> because they think it's not clean, I don't like you because taking a bath is clean. <laughs> I will take this fight to my grave. Anyway, I love taking a bath. It's my happy time at the end of the day. And before I even exit the bath, I'm pulling the drain because I'm sitting in the bath pulling the drain and then I get, <laughs> I get out okay not to mention on top of all of this strange stuff Jennifer's car is still in the driveway so Dina calls her grandma her father's mom so Dean's mother and her dad and they both rush back to the house Jennifer's brother Glenn also comes to the house so this is Dina's uncle later that day with no sign of Jennifer they decide to report her missing to the RCMP so let's stop here and let me tell you a bit more about Jennifer Jennifer grew up in Saint Lunaire Griquette a small town in Newfoundland. She is one of seven children. It's reported that she had a very nice childhood. She was described as family-oriented, compassionate, funny, kind. She was well-liked by others around her. While she was attending high school, she met a boy by the name of Dean Penny. She would later marry Dean. They were high school sweethearts. The couple eventually moved 20 kilometers away to St. Anthony. This next part is from Wikipedia. St. Anthony is a town on the northern reaches of the great northern peninsula of the Canadian province of Newfoundland and Labrador. The town serves as a main service center for northern Newfoundland and southern Labrador. St. Anthony had a population of 2,180 in 2021. So this is a small town, okay? This is a town, like, if you don't want people to, like, be in your business, you probably don't want to live there. I'm, I'm assuming and never been, but you know. As I mentioned, the couple had two daughters, Marina and Dina. In September of 2016, Jennifer's mother had passed away. This is also around the time that her and Dean decided to separate. It's reported like it was maybe more of Jennifer's decision to do this. Marina, her eldest daughter, and Jennifer were really close. She even confided in her about the separation, telling her that she wanted to start a new life and that she had fallen out of love with her husband. So, you know, they're high school sweethearts. Like, they've been together most of their lives. They're probably the only people they've been with. This is not 
that abnormal to me. Marina's at the age where she's totally moved out of the house. She has her own career. You know, Dina's probably getting there. So also, I have no idea where this case is going. But if I were to assume um, the husband did it, (laughs) as Renee has taught me so well, I'm learning so much doing this podcast. And something about that high school sweethearts with the husband did it mentality scares me because it's like you marry or you're together at such a young age that you don't actually know each other. And then you grow up and it's like, well, you didn't really know this person could be capable of something like this. Not that you would know if you were older and met at an older age, but you know what I mean? It's kind of like... Yeah, exactly what you're saying. Like, it's, it's scarier because you form this bond so young mm-hmm. and then you think, I really know this person. Like, no, yeah. I really, really know... Like, they've been part of almost my entire life. Exactly. Yeah, you almost don't even know life without them. So to kind of get the separation started, uh, Jennifer had moved back in with her father, Alan. In November of that year, she was starting to plan to move to Clarenville. Clarenville is about a nine and a half hour drive from St. Anthony, and that is where Marina, her eldest daughter, was living and working at the time. Jennifer was, you know, going through the process, looking for jobs. She was also in the process of, you know, beginning to contact a lawyer. It's a separation. It seemed like Jennifer had really made her mind up. So that's kind of the natural next step to take. Dean was apparently not too happy with the separation. I don't think it was his choice. I think if he had to decide that he would have stayed with Jennifer. But unfortunately, it's kind of a two-way street. And in relationships, uh, one side can always change their mind, which is scary. But you have to be able to respect that decision when they do. There was also kind of a lot more going on in Dean's mind and whether he was kind of making this up in his head. But it's reported that he was sure that Jennifer was having an affair. I guess sometimes, you know, you have to blame it on something. So you think, you know, she's leaving me for another guy. It's not because she's fallen out of love with me or because of this or because we're grown apart. It's for sure because of another guy. It makes it easier to kind of direct your anger, I guess. Mm -hmm. It would later come out that the man that Dean was so jealous about, the man that Jennifer was texting, was just a friend. She was asking him for some friendly advice. I think he had been through a separation before in the past. This is totally normal to me. And even if she was talking to another man, Jennifer, at this point, from what I could tell, has very clearly stated that she wants to be separated. So, I mean, that was up to her. But going through something like a separation and a divorce, especially when you've been with the same person for so long, finding kind of solidarity with other people that have been through it is probably like crucial to just like being able to get over it, you know, mm-hmm. and get through it and just kind of survive until you're at the other end and you like can see the light. Yeah, because no matter if you're the one deciding you want to separate, like it still obviously is a huge part of your life. You have kids, you know, yeah, it's still, it's hard. still hard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's still really hard. It's reported that Dean was actually following or watching Jennifer. This is obviously Obviously, extremely stressful for Jennifer. Like, this didn't seem like it was a behavior that Dean was necessarily exhibiting while they were happily married, or I don't know about happily, but together. Like, it didn't seem like this is something he would have done before. And she kind of began to worry about her safety. Jennifer, like we all do, relied on her friends and she confided in them. It even got to the point where they came up with a safety plan. For those of you who don't know what a safety plan is, the following definition comes from thehotline.org. A safety plan is a set of actions that can help lower your risk of being hurt by your partner. 
It includes information specific to you and your life that will increase your safety at school, home, and other places that you go on a daily basis. It's sort of like a, a little contract that you can write with yourself or a family member or a friend or even like a social worker or a caseworker. Anyone that you trust to know that, you know, if you felt at harm at home, what would you do? What would you grab? Do you have a go bag? Like things like that for women, usually women and children that, you know, are, are living some type of violent situation. Part of this safety plan was for Jennifer to text her friends throughout the day. During the week of Jennifer's disappearance, as I mentioned, Dean was away duck hunting, and the couple did not want to leave Dina to be home alone. So even though Jennifer wasn't currently living at the family home, they agreed that she would stay there for at least a week. Obviously, from what I told you guys, I'm sure she was kind of reluctant or nervous or even a little bit anxious about doing this. Her routine was supposed to remain the same. She was going to go to work each day at the local hospital before driving to her father's house for dinner and then returning to the family home. Okay, so that's a bit about Jennifer's life, her background story, and where we are now. So now we're going to go back to the morning of December 1st, the day Jennifer's family noticed she was missing. When the RCMP arrived at the house, it's reported that they don't necessarily initially suspect foul play. It was speculated that she could have just kind of up and left town on her own. This is something we hear a lot in, you know, initial missing persons cases. You know, maybe they just decided to leave. But her friends and family felt strongly that she would not have done this. Jennifer was not the type of person to run away or to make an impulsive decision, like just running away without telling anyone. She was already taking steps to like get out of St. Anthony and kind of move on with her life. So what would really be the purpose of this? And in the middle of the night, she got home at 8 p.m. So what are we thinking? She gets home at 8 p.m., packs a bag and goes. And she wanted to make sure that her daughter wasn't home alone at night. So why yeah. would she leave? So her, her entire family and friends got together and they began to put missing posters up of Jennifer all over St. Anthony. This is what the missing poster said. Mother of two missing from St. Anthony has been deemed suspicious. If you have seen or heard anything, that small significant piece of information may be the tip we need to identify what happened the night of November 30th, 2016 and lead us to the whereabouts of Jennifer Hillier Penny. The RCMP did get involved by conducting searches on land and in the sea. They got help from the Canadian Rangers and Rescue Team from Roddick to Newfoundland, and a lot of volunteers also pitched in. On December 2nd and 3rd, investigators searched the town by using sniffer dogs. The dog didn't pick up Jennifer's scent beyond the house. They also searched the harbor and nearby bodies of water, which included the use of a dive team. They didn't recover any evidence. Local residents were asked to check their properties for anything that was weird or out of the ordinary. And on the fifth day of the search, a helicopter got involved, but they didn't find anything. So the canine dogs, like the sniffer dogs, are super interesting. I feel like whenever they're not able to follow a scent, it's because someone gets into a vehicle. Mm. So if they were like around her house and could obviously smell her there but then right. couldn't find a path anywhere. It just, you know, leaves me to believe that she left the home in some kind of vehicle. Mm -hmm. On December 7th, seven days after Jennifer had disappeared, the RCMP changed their mind a little bit. They changed the status of the investigation to suspicious. Once they did this, Dean's home was locked down and a forensic team was brought in to look for any clues. They did their thing and they found no signs of a struggle or any suspicious activity. But remember, it had been seven days since Jennifer has been missing. Probably many, many family members have been in the home at this time. RCMP officers, friends, maybe volunteers. People have trekked in and out of this house. It would be very hard at this point, I think, to pinpoint anything that would be relevant to Jennifer's disappearance. 
The family was not very thrilled that it took so long for investigators to kind of shut everything down and search the house. Jennifer's mother-in-law, Dean's mom, Ruby Penny, offered a $25,000 reward for any information that could lead to a resolution in Jennifer's case. She also went out of her way to state that her son was not involved in his wife's disappearance. She shared her hopes that Jennifer had just run away. Obviously, I'm sure they don't think she has, but they're all hoping that she has. Right. That just means that she can just decide to come back whenever she wants. So really, in, in this case, that's, that's the best case scenario. There was also a bingo fundraiser, which raised $22,500 for Jennifer's case. This is so sweet. I feel like this is very small town, like the bingo fundraiser. Yeah, that's, and that's just, a like, lot of money. Uh, yeah, these like, people they were playing, oh, <laughs> playing yeah. bingo. Do you know what pro bingoers look like when they play? Have you ever seen them on TikTok? No. They like, they like go live while they're playing bingo and they have like a, their sheet in front of them, but they also have like the stamper thing. Stamper? Like stamp, yeah. stamp, stamp. <laughs> but when they call out the letter and the number or whatever, they, they like have this flick of the wrist that like goes over their page. No, that's you drama. Never, you don't have to do they that. They all you do that. Literally just dip it. They all do it. That's just like to try to make bingo sporty, right? Because like really all you have to do is just like scan with your eyes and then stamp. Are bingo people going to come at me? I don't know. That's weird to me. I've, I've never seen it. Maybe I'll think it's cool. <laughs> there continued to be searches organized and posters continued to be displayed by businesses and small organizations in St. Anthony. People were also putting stickers on their cars, which is such a good way to kind of get people looking. I mean, it's such a small town that I have to think that like the same people are just seeing the same picture again. Yeah. But if this was in a, I mean, not that it's not a good idea. It's a great idea, but I also think this would be great for larger towns to kind of start doing if someone's missing. It's the same idea as putting like a kid's picture on a milk carton. People are buying it, people are looking yeah. at it. It's the exposure. Billboards were also placed near local Tim Hortons at Fishing Point Park. In October of 2017, the RCMP Major Crimes Unit from Corner Brook, Newfoundland, took a visit to St. Anthony to do some extra investigating and to offer some help. No specific details have been revealed about the visit. In December of 2017, so over a year since she disappeared, around 100 people gather at Fishing Point Lighthouse to release balloons in Jennifer's memory. This next part is a quote from Stories of the Unsolved. The CBC's investigative news show, The Fifth Estate, covered the case in a two-part investigation. As a result of the investigation and on the urging of the RCMP and Dean's lawyer, the Supreme Court of Newfoundland and Labrador granted a publication ban on the case, which prevents the media from releasing the names of anyone the RCMP has or had identified as being involved in Jennifer's disappearance. After the Fifth Estate aired their investigation, the RCMP in St. John's, Newfoundland contacted the family and informed them that the case is still a priority for the major crimes unit. In December 2018, the RCMP approached the Supreme Court to keep numerous items they'd collected throughout the investigation, a request that was granted with an end date of December 15, 2019. It is one of a series of extensions the authorities had received since the investigation began. So this is interesting. It's the first time we've seen this before. So basically, the RCMP and Dean's lawyer, whether it was together or separately, I'm assuming it was separately, but we're both working towards getting a publication ban on the case. So preventing any media from releasing names. And this kind of makes sense to me to protect people involved if they aren't the perpetrator. But also, I kind of hate this because we also want to be involved. And I think that her daughters especially have a right to know and, and her family have a right to know what's going on. But at this point, they're keeping everything really tight-lipped. And it's at, at this point, it's a, a legal decision that has been made to not release any information. 
And I don't know if the request to keep some of the evidence gathered was extended past 2019. In June of 2019, some rumors began to spread around St. Anthony that bones were found inside a discarded air mattress in Hare Bay, Newfoundland. These rumors unfortunately kind of brought a lot of hope to Marina, um, Jennifer's oldest daughter. She was hoping that this kind of, you know, at this point she's, I think a lot of people are assuming that Jennifer is no longer with us and she was really hoping to kind of bring this all to an end. I can't imagine living in this like weird limbo where you're just stuck waiting and wondering and you, you can't, you know, bury your mom or give her like a nice resting place. But unfortunately, the rumors turned out to be false. This is what she told CBC News. When I heard it was Bones and I couldn't get a hold of the police, I was like, oh my God, we're going to find her. This could be her. It could be over. Unfortunately, it turned out to be the first of many egregious rumors spread between Friday evening and Saturday morning. I was being too hopeful. In October of 2019, rocks were painted in Jennifer's memory and placed underneath the sign at Fishing Point Park. A memorial event was also held later that year, which included a walk from the Lions Club to the RCMP detachment and back again. The families obviously had a really hard time with this investigation. They've been pretty vocal about their feelings, they're frustrated, and they feel like there's a lack of hope and that investigators will not find them the answers they're looking for. Glenn Jennifer's brother feels like the authorities didn't take his sister's disappearance seriously enough. You know, right off the bat, they didn't kind of listen to them. The family was very alarmed this wasn't like her, and they kind of took their time with the investigation is how the family feels. Investigators have now said that they are treating this like a kidnapping homicide, and they've interviewed over 100 people and are hoping that someone will come forward with information. It seems like from what I was able to find that they're really relying on some type of new information to come forward to be able to make an arrest on the case. Marina has offered up the remaining money from the search fund, which currently sits at $8,500 to anyone who could provide a lead. And this case is still unsolved. Ah. So now we're going to talk about theories, but we are going to be somewhat careful because we don't want to point fingers to people that didn't do this. And we don't know who did this at this point. So we are going to base ourselves off the facts that we know and we're going to speculate. So our first theory is the runaway theory. So the first one that investigators originally believe. That Jennifer left because she needed a break from what was going on in her life. Her separation, the upcoming divorce, all the changes in her life. She just wanted to go. What do you think about that? I just feel like there would be part of her that would at least call her family, be like, listen, I'm okay, but I just need time. Yeah. Like I'll contact you when I'm ready. You know what I mean? I, I think like I, this case really got me this week. And I think it's because if you watch the Fifth Estate episode, Marina just like talks about her mom in like such a nice way. And they seem to be so close. And I thought so much about me and my mom. And I just like, I can't imagine like, you know, that your mom, the person you call when you're like, like I'm having a bad day or mm-hmm. I just tell you something or like I'm being irrational, but I'm angry about something. Yeah. <laughs> and I need you to tell me I'm probably being wrong or, or whatever. And that person that you're relying on, that you've relied on your whole life goes missing and you're the one left. Yeah. And Marina kind of looks like she's she's not alone she obviously has a lot of family support but she's kind of spearheading all of this mm-hmm. and for her to have to take that on is it just it feels really sad to me yeah because it's so hard I'm sure for her to live with no answers grieving once you know someone has passed is you know one very difficult process but she can't even like know what to feel because 
it's so much unknown. And how do you sit still? Like you have to, but also like whenever I'd have a calm day or something, I'd feel like I should be out there looking for her, doing mm-hmm. something more. I feel like the pressure you probably put on yourself to try and solve this case because you're not getting anything from any authorities who obviously don't have anything at this point. Everyone who knew her said that she wouldn't have left. She was close with her family, very close with her friends, extremely close with her daughters. And honestly, the family thinks there's no way that this could have been an option. Theory number two is the one held by many of Jennifer's friends and family is that she was abducted and murdered. Many people do feel like Dean was somehow involved. There must be a lack of evidence or something to prove this since the RCMP haven't stated anything about this, not that they're necessarily allowed to now, but even in the early days of the investigation. Dean's lawyer has advised him not to talk publicly or comment on the case. He's denied any involvement and, you know, kind of reiterated that he was down hunting at the cabin that week. He goes out of his way to mention in the Fifth Estate episode that Jennifer was texting another man on the night that she went missing. But people have questioned whether Dean's thinking Jennifer was having an affair is more of a reason to believe that he could have been behind this. You know, jealousy is ugly. And I mean, at this point, we're we're kind of running low on options. There are three theories and there's one that seems pretty good to me. Jennifer's friends have also questioned why Dean hadn't initially brought the duck decoys with him. Apparently, if you're an experienced duck hunter, this is something you always grab. Or duck hunter? If you have duck decoys, are you hunting duck? (laughs) the longest silence (laughs) well like wouldn't a duck decoy attract like a bigger animal i figured like it would like a ducks would want to stay together so it would attract ducks maybe right i don't know yeah i don't know (laughs) yeah we don't know anyway apparently if you hunt like dean hunts you would not have forgotten your duck decoys the rcmp have searched his home his truck his cabin obviously they haven't found anything substantial Marina has shared her own doubts regarding her dad. She says that she hasn't ruled him out. In 2018, she asked him to take a lie detector test. He said he wouldn't. And he said he wasn't going to do this because his lawyer told him he shouldn't. Oh my god. Marina, and we don't hear a lot from Dina. Maybe she just doesn't want to be in the public eye. But these daughters that... It's hard. I can't... Could you imagine suspecting your own father... Well, like see, that's still... the thing, right? Like, you lose two parents at once. Yes, 100%. So that's, like, devastating. And the fact that he won't do anything to rule himself out, and I get that, I mean, I I always feel like you should consult a lawyer before doing anything and take their advice, especially on, like, you know, criminal legal matters, but at the same time, like, this is your family, these are your daughters, I doubt that they have a strong relationship now. Mm-hmm. I mean, how can you if you, if you, have, if you have, have that little inkling that, you know, maybe something's not right here? Yeah. Dean was home that night. He did go back home the night that Jennifer yeah. went missing. Dina saw him. See, that's the thing. There's like too many coincidences. Many have said that they feel that the reward that was put up by Dean's mom was kind of a way to deflect attention off of Dean. Now, I feel like this is kind of more like gossip a little bit because there's a, a really strong chance that Dean's mom had a really great relationship with Jennifer. They had known each other for years and years. So Jennifer told her sisters and friends that she was scared of Dean. She was worried he would come back in the middle of the night while she was staying at the house. She said those words. Marina agrees that she believes her mom was afraid of her dad. 
Dean is questioned in the Fifth Estate episode. The first time he's questioned, he interacts with the host. The second time, he kind of shoots them away. I think he understands what they're doing there the second time more than he did the first time. The host asks him, how do you feel when people suspect you had something to do with it? He says, I mean, people are going to suspect it. But I mean, I'm not going to feel bad over it because I didn't do anything. So, you know, really, the only bad thing I feel is about the girls, you know. And then he kind of says, because I mean, the three of my girls was everything to me. And then he pauses for a second. He goes, and still are. Mm-hmm. This is weird to me because mm-hmm. if you're for okay, it's it's hard. It's hard because she's been missing for a long time. Do you start referring to her in the past tense if she's just missing? I don't think so. Well, I don't think, but I've never been in that position. But I feel like we've caught this kind of weird slip before. Also, maybe in a sense where like now that his daughters aren't, if his daughters aren't talking to him anymore, also, it's maybe. like, you know, they were everything to me. Now we have no relationship. That's why it's in the past tense. Definitely in interrogations when that's where it starts is when they talk about someone who's missing in yes. you know a past tense like that as if they're not alive anymore and the fact that he pauses and goes still are mm-hmm. i feel like you can see him go like oh shit, shit. like yeah. i shouldn't have said that mm-hmm. but i don't know i don't know man we're i mean we're not saying you did it but we're not saying you didn't do it He's then asked, how could someone just disappear from your house? And he kind of says, I don't know. I don't know. It's really strange. But I was duck hunting at my cabin. I'm like, no, you weren't, sir. You were home that night. You were picking up your duck decoys for your duck hunting. I guess you do use duck decoys to duck hunt. He also mentioned that she was texting another man. Like, he goes out of his way to say this. Can you stop, like, slandering her? Like, it's already been proven that she wasn't flirting with this guy or something. And even if she was... Who cares? Like, why are you trying to deflect and either, like, blame her or blame another man? Like, it has nothing to do with anything. If this other person was a substantial lead, then I feel like investigators would have kind of... There'd be something in my research saying that this other man, which there was nothing. So I hate that because I also feel like, don't talk about her that way. Like, she's allowed to talk to whoever she wants, you know? Well, and especially since she's missing, like, what's the point of, like, continuously bringing that up if it has no relevance to what's going on? Yeah, exactly. Her friends that were involved in the safety plan all speak in the Fifth Estate episode, and they clearly say that the minute they heard she was missing, they knew she was dead. Oh, that's heartbreaking. I know. It's also reported that she had just recently taken Dean off of her life insurance policy, which I don't know, you know, I don't know how much that really has to do with anything because, it, well, if she's just missing. Like, I don't know if life insurance kicks in when you're just missing. Oh. You know what I, I mean? Know. Yeah. Like, I don't think that would be a good motive if it was one. That's kind of like a set as a motive, but I don't feel like that would make much sense. Our third theory is stranger abductions. So we can't rule this out. Like weird stuff like this happens all the time. There are predators out there that break into homes. We just saw it a few weeks ago with Russell Williams. Total stranger broke into Jessica Lloyd's home, abducted her, took her back to his house and killed her. So this is, you cannot rule this out, which is scary. I mean, it's scary thinking that someone you know would kill you, but how much scarier is it thinking that, like... Well, especially the fact that she was supposed to be home alone that night, like, she was home alone all week. What if someone was watching her, knowing that her husband wasn't home? And in such a small community, you have to think it's probably someone who knows their way around, if it is a stranger abduction. Mm -hmm. So, as her family members, you're thinking... Either her husband of many years has done this to her and is walking around free or there's a total stranger among 
what the 2,180 people that live here that could have done this. I feel like it would be easier to catch a husband rather than a stranger. For sure. So maybe the fact that it's still unsolved, it could be literally anyone. I think a lot when this case is talked about, Dean is pointed at a lot as the perpetrator of the crime. But we have to, you know, especially considering, like I said, the past couple weeks we've been covering the Colonel Russell Williams case. And that's a perfect example of how someone could do something like this with no connection. The Hillier family have created a Facebook page to help keep Jennifer's case alive. I think there used to be a public Facebook group, but now there's only a private one from what I could find. Jennifer's loved ones have decided they will hold a memorial every year until she is found. Glenn Hillier told CBC the following. My biggest fear is it's going to be called a cold case and push back on the back burner. Marina and Glenn are also interviewed in the Saltwater article, and this is a quote from that article. Marina Goodyear, daughter of missing person Jennifer Hillier Penny of St. Anthony, said the person she believes is responsible for her mother's death will never admit to it, and she is hoping some new information is found to move the case forward. I had a hard time back in May when I was getting married. I never thought I was going to get married without my mother by my side. My fear is my mom is eventually going to end up being forgotten about by the public, by the media. In the meantime, I'm tired. I just want this to be over. We have been stuck in the same mental state for five years now, and it is deteriorating us. I can see it in people's faces. Some days you're okay, and then some days it feels like you're dying. As for Glenn, he feels it too. He still wakes in the middle of the night sometimes, thinking of his sister Jennifer. I look out the window, hoping I'd see her walk in the driveway. It's like a bad dream you can't wake up from. I would like if anybody got anything to come forward with it, please. I can't beg no more. Just come forward. People might not realize that they may have seen something useful. So if you think of anything, please come forward. Even if you think it's insignificant, come forward. It may be something that could help. So although we don't have a clear pattern of domestic abuse that was reported leading up to Jennifer's disappearance, I think it's important to mention that we're not sure if there was any going on in the home. So I wanted to reiterate some warning signs of abuse. The following are some of the signs to keep an eye out for. Their partner puts them down often. Their partner does all the talking and dominates the conversation. They are apologetic or make excuses for their partner's behavior. They are depressed, anxious, or show other changes in their personality. They are constantly worried about making their partner angry. They are sick and miss work often or more than usual. They miss appointments or days at school. Their partner checks up on them all the time, even at work or at school. They stop spending time with friends and family. They seem withdrawn, fearful, and they have unexpected injuries. I think we can clearly see that Jennifer had some of these signs. Like she was, you know, anxious and worried about, I think, making Dean angry. She was worried about being followed because her partner was checking in on her and she was fearful from what her friends and family have said the following is from a cbc article according to experts on intimate partner violence leaving an abusive partner puts a woman in potential life-threatening danger research has also shown the risk of domestic homicide becomes highest during the period of separation and the intensity of domestic violence escalates when the abused person decides to leave the relationship Many researchers believe it's about power and control. When a woman finally says she's leaving the relationship, 
abusers may try to escalate their power and control tactics to force the woman to stay. The quote Marie just read was by Betty Jo Barrett, an intimate partner violence researcher and an associate professor in the Women's and Gender Studies program at the University of Windsor. I thought this was extremely important to highlight. It often takes a lot of courage for a partner who is suffering violence to leave the relationship, and that is when their life is most at risk. It's why we come up with safety plans and it's why, you know, there is a lot of support and a lot that goes involved helping that person leave the relationship. These warning signs can be seen on, on either side of the relationship, whether it's the woman or mm -hmm. the man. Yeah, and it can be seen in homosexual relationships, mm -hmm. heterosexual relationships all of the kinds of relationships out there it can be definitely seen and we will be adding two links in the show notes for kind of templates of safety plans so if you are concerned about a family a friend a loved one and you are wanting to create a safety plan with them they're easy to find online but sometimes it's nice to just have a link there so we'll be adding that in our show notes here's the contact information for the case jennifer hillier penny went missing from husky drive in saint anthony newfoundland on november 30th of 2016. She she was 38 years old, and what she was last seen wearing is currently unknown. At the time of her disappearance, she stood 5 foot 7 and weighed between 160 and 170 pounds. She has blonde hair and green eyes. Currently, her case has been deemed suspicious, with the RCMP investigating as a kidnapping possible homicide. If you have any information regarding the case, you can contact the St. Anthony's RCMP at 709-454-3543 or Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. I also wanted to add the Domestic Violence Helpline from Newfoundland. It's 1-800-709-7090. There's pretty much a domestic violence helpline in every city, and they usually also include texts, which provides an additional means for those in need to reach out for assistance. If you are also looking for information to get help online and you're worried about your abusers seeing your search history, many of these websites have easy ways to cover your search history and to kind of use things in a private window. They got your back, they know what they're dealing with, they're the experts, so please reach out for help. This week, we will be donating to the Newfoundland and Labrador Women's Centers, Transition Houses, and Regional Coordinating Councils Against Violence. This is from their website. The St. John's Status of Women Council slash Women's Center is a feminist organization that since 1972 is continually working to achieve equality and justice through political activism, community collaboration, and the creation of a safe and inclusive space for all women and non-binary people in the St. John's area. If you would like to contribute to the Newfoundland and Labrador Women's Centers, Transition Houses, and Regional Coordinating Councils Against Violence, the link to donate will be in our description and Instagram slash TikTok bio. Pictures for this case will be posted on our Instagram, so please follow us at Terrible True Crime. And if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and leave us a review below. If you have any case suggestions, please send us a message on our socials or email us at terribletruecrime at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us. And see you next time. Thank you.